Greetings. This is Jedi Master Trenin Katar from the Heroes of the Old Republic campaign. Trust your feelings. Never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Misa Jaja Binks, and Misa never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Okie day? Execute Order 66. Greetings and salutations. There has been a request on our forums for me to talk like William Shatner the entire time. They said it'd be (laughs) better for me, better for you, better for them. Anyway, enough of that. (laughs) I'm GM Dave. What is up, Gamer Nation? I am GM Chris. And uh, it is a beautiful Sunday evening, and uh, we are here once again to yap our jaws off to the various uh, airwaves of the intertubes about Star Wars Saga Edition. Indeed. Episode 14 here on internet. Is it episode 14 already? Mm-hmm. Wow. Sorry, you caught I... me mid-drink there. Yeah, man, I can't believe we've been doing this for 14 weeks. <laughs> I know, can you believe it? Not really, and uh, it's getting kind of crazy each week. Um, our forum community is just getting stronger and stronger, and uh, people are are sending in their email requests and uh, their voicemails, and uh, and just you know showing support for the cast and giving us suggestions and uh, questions and and uh, comments, and it's just it's just great to see. So um, if you guys want to, of course, as listeners to the cast, if you're not already registered on our forums, please go to the uh, d20radio.com slash forum homepage and register yourself. Become a member of the Gamer Nation. Get your voice heard. Or I believe uh, you can also give us a, uh, a phone call. Can you not, Dave? You can on the loser line. On the loser line. That is 206-600-5872. 206-600-LUSA. L-U-S-A. 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 And um, you're welcome to give us a call. Leave us uh, your I Never Listen to the Order 66 podcast bumpers um, or any questions you might have as well. You're also welcome to email us at uh, gmchris at d20radio.com or gmadave at d20radio.com. That's right. That's right. Well, we got a cool episode this week, don't we, Dave? I believe we do. We're going to be talking about starships and the proper campaigns and in response to our forums. And the Shatner thing was... <laughs> a, I don't know. We've made a few changes to Cody, and y'all will hear that very soon, based on your yes, yes feedback. Uh, yeah, you guys have made a lot of suggestions for the show. We want to take them in stride, and and one of the biggest uh, requests we had actually that we're going to follow up on, as Dave said, is a request to talk more about Starship Combat. So uh, we are going to be devoting this almost entire episode to it. And uh, we do have a very exciting announcement for next week. We are finally got in touch, if I'm not mistaken, Dave, with uh, GM Brev. Finally. We finally Finally. had everything hammered out and got his Skype all connected and working and had a little test session Friday, and everything is good to go. 
Good to go. So he's going to be on the show next week, and we will be having our delayed discussion of Star Wars minis, for those of you who have been asking about it. So uh, tune in next week when we're going to be talking about Star Wars minis and all the juicy, crunchy goodness that goes along with them. That's right. The oft-rumored, yet never actually occurring, D20 radio mini cast. I'll be excited if it happens. You know, I think I'm going to take a picture for posterity. Go ahead and take that picture. (laughs) Hope that works out for you. Oh, yes. Well, speaking of pictures, uh, I got one. uh, Let's see here. On the back of a piece of laminate pasteboard um, in my mailbox. And this is actually kind of interesting. um, This came with an attached note. It looks like it was forwarded. Um, One of our listeners, full-on gamer, uh, he's also one of one of our forum members. He he has a actually this came from him, Dave, and oh. uh, he had a note attached that says, uh, hey, "Hey guys, um, uh, looks like the rebels are interfering with Imperial mail. Uh, this postcard was misdelivered to my station." Oh, so he uh, he returned that to us, and uh, thank you very much for that full on gamer. And uh, this is actually a very beautiful postcard. Um, it, it looks like a, just a, a beautiful uh, kind of a I- picture of an idyllic you know, forest moon. There's, there's some towering trees and, and leaf-strewn trails with, with distant mountains. And uh, there's kind of a rough scratch here of a caption that says, uh, Wilderness Getaways on an Exclusive Imperial Nature Preserve. Oh. The Forest Moon of Endor. Ooh. Ooh. So uh, <clears throat> let's see what uh, our good friend Commander Cody has to say. From across the galaxy, it's time for postcards from Commander Cody. All right. Let's see what we got this week. Dear GM Dave and GM Chris. Greetings, guys. All hail the Empire. Me and my unit have been posted as security this week for the construction of an Imperial Nature Preserve. Emperor Palpatine's all about the environment in the New Order. We're putting shield generators on a forest moon to keep it safe from the rebel scum and their Wookiee friends. <laughs> They're still mad about their trees. <laughs> the things are going okay, but the guys in my platoon are making fun of me because I saw what I thought was a Wookiee, but it was too small. And when I told them, it was gone. Now no one believes me. I feel sad. A couple of guys have gone missing now. Everyone's teasing me about, Oh, the little Wookiees are coming after me. I know you guys will believe me and not make fun. Well, today I'm raising my hand first for ATSD detail, so I can make sure to bag me one of them buggers and prove everyone wrong. Well, I gotta go now, but I'll talk to you again real soon. Your friend. Commander Cody. Huh. Huh. That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad, not bad. So you think it's interesting the Empire's setting up nature preserves on the uh, forest moon of Endor? I didn't know that. Oh, well, you know what? I think it's a marvelous, marvelous idea. And uh, bravo to the Emperor and his fine assistants for taking that environmental initiative. And certainly those shield generators they're setting up will keep the riffraff out of that beautiful, lush forested area. Just another way to take advantage of the locals. Oh, no locals? It's an empty plant. That's ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. Yeah, those little mini Wookiees, those Ewoks. Well, clearly, clearly Cody's delusional. Yeah, they're being repressed. God, you know, someday, Dave, you're just going to get with the program, and I know I'll be there to see it. I know I will. But until then, I'm just going to have to speak for both of us and, you know, express both of our, you know, continued support for the Empire, clearly, in, in the face of, of, you know, awful rebellion actions and, you know, these, these terrorist groups that are just threatening the security of the galaxy. And I'm yeah. pleased, you know, to give yours and my support to the Emperor and his 
established, valued, and, and truly just government. What, are you afraid that they're going to come and get me? God. <laughs> I don't know. I am going to take your soundboard away. <laughs> yeah, you better. Well, thank you, uh, Full On Gamer, for uh, going ahead and giving us the, that forwarded postcard from Commander Cody. Much appreciated. But we did get a little bit more mail this week, didn't we, Dave? That we did. All right, scumbag, pay attention. It's time for mail call. It's time yeah. for mail call. For mail call, for mail call. I got one email, and I think you got two voicemails, didn't you? I got two voicemails, yes, indeed. Oh, well, would you like to hear my mail first, or do you want to go ahead with yours? Let's hear from yours. Okay. Well, I get an email from actually uh, uh, kind of a PM, actually, from one of our posters, Infinity Doctor. Um, and he echoed a question that was kind of started on our forums in a thread by Clacky, one of our other posters. Yep. And he basically said, yeah, you know, hi, GM Chris and GM Dave. Um, a few of us have been going around in circles on the forum, you know, you may have noticed, over exactly how you calculate the cost of Starship weapon systems if you apply multiple enhancements to it. Now, I thought this question was kind of appropriate since we were talking about Starship combat t t this week. But he basically wants to know, he says, does each enhancement add base weapon cost multi multipliers to the base cost of the weapon, or does each enhancement keep sequentially multiplying the total cost? So, in other words, to kind of make it a little easier to understand, you know, let's say you have a heavy blaster cannon you want to modify. Okay, you want to turn it into a double heavy blaster cannon. Well, that's got a times three modifier to it. Okay, well, let's say you want to give it also advanced enhancements, which is a times five cost modifier to it. Do you take the base cost, multiply it by three, and then take that total and multiply it by five, or do you take the base costs, you know, basically times eight, you know, where you, you're not, you know, you're multiplying oh, by the base. Right. Um, and obviously, uh, if you did the former, you would end up with a pretty astronomical sum. Um, and so, it, just in my own opinion, uh, we kind of searched everywhere for this um, infinity, and we looked and we looked. We found absolutely no official ruling on this. I mean, even the ubiquitous uh, rules collector, Raving Dork, he has nothing to say about this in his collected FAQ, uh, which is a great resource you guys can find on Gleemax forums. Um, but there have been a few competing opinions, though, and they also really all they are is opinions, because we have yet to hear from a dev. And those opinions have been posted on Gleemax, as well as our own forums. Um, so to answer your question in terms of how Dave and I work it, uh, we advocate simply adding the total multipliers together to times it by the base cost. Okay, so in the in the previous example, you would just take the base cost and times it by eight. Okay, and why? Well, it follows what I call the KISS formula that is too often the key of designing point in this system, which is keep it simple, stupid. Right. Um, it's it's the simplest way to do it, and everything else in this system follows that axiom, so that's why I say do it. So not only is this the simplest option, but to me it's the option that makes the most sense. Um, since enhancements increase emplacement in points on a starship, um, there would quickly become absolutely no point to ever enhancing anything at the astronomical cost it would quickly come to if you, you know, multiplied, you know, the the the, uh, the multiplier by the new and improved sum of money. So that's pretty much my opinion on it. But it is just an opinion. But hey, that's what it is. You're almost getting into exponential cost, and there's there's no way that the yeah. devs in, in envision that. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's really no point. And it's one of the things if you're talking about, you know, okay, wow, you know, there's a Star Destroyer, you know, you know, this is the Empire, they have millions of credits, of course they can afford it. But these rules aren't there just for NPC what-ifs. These rules are there for PCs to apply to their ships that they own. Right. And therefore, it needs to be a realistic mechanic. There's nothing else in any of the rule books that are these what-if scenarios, you know, it, you know, the, you know, prestige classes that are only there for the DM to use or the GM, you know. Right. So, you know, no, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, for it to be a player-friendly option, that's kind of the way I think. Yep, righto, me too. Righto. 
Okay, I have my first question. Actually, both questions come from Full On Gamer. I was, think it was, was it Full On Gamer? I thought it was... Uh... Or was it Full On Gamer? No, no, it wasn't Full On Gamer. Sorry, my bad. <clears throat> this came from the Wolf-Blooded Podcast. That's right, Wolf-Blooded Gamer. Right, Wolf-Blooded Gamer. Sorry, my bad. Anyway, here's the first one. We're going to talk about bonus multi-class questions, and I'll have an answer for you on the other side. Hey, it's TJ from Wolf Blood Gamer again. Had a question from a player and just thought I would drop you guys a line. Regarding multi-class characters, which is something we're just starting to get into with uh, some leveling up going on, as far as defenses go, it says that you have to adjust to uh, the defense of the new class that you're taking, but the defense bonuses don't stack for class, which makes sense because otherwise you would just take a level in every class and you'd be uber by level six or so. But what we were wondering is, do you always keep the best defense bonus? Say you started off as a class that had a plus two to reflex, and you multi-classed into a class that had a plus one to reflex. Obviously, you're not going to stack that and turn that into a plus three, but would you keep the plus two, or do you drop to the plus one until you take a level in another class? Um, that's about it. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. All right, I would point you to page number 36 in your core rulebook, and it states, and I'll, I'll, I'll actually read it. I hate reading stuff, but I'll do it. In addition to the attack bonuses, whoops, wrong one. My bad. Class bonuses do not stack. You only apply the best bonus from all your classes to each defense score. So that's pretty straightforward, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, you only apply the best one. Right, so if you uh, have a Jedi, and then you have, like, a no, uh, one in Noble, so you'll do two plus two will defense instead of the plus one for the Jedi, because it's better. Correct, correct. And you, But then again, you'll retain your plus one in Fortitude. You know, in the other two, doesn't... right. Right, since Noble yeah. doesn't have anything at all, the one exactly. plus one Fortitude is better, so. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's right there. That's where you can find it. That's right. Well, you said, you said TJ uh, had another question for us as well. TJ did have another question with uh, my second flavor. Say, my bleh, bleh, flavor? Flavor? What? Flavor? You flavor it? Good Lord. Sorry, I can't speak. Anyway, let me just play the question. TJ from Wolfblood Gamer with one more question. I'll keep it short. Yeah, please. One of my players was playing a <laughs> Mon Calamari, and according to the stat block, Mon Calamari have a swim speed of four, but they also get a uh, a racial ability that lets them re-roll swim checks. It's well, a trap. All you really need to do to use a swim check for is to progress in the water, and the way we've been adjudicating it is that uh, since they are an amphibious species, they can just always move four spaces in the water no matter what without making a check. So what is the point of having this bonus? Are we doing it wrong? Um, thanks. And as always, keep up the good work. This one I'm going to let you answer because, as it turns out, they are wrong. I finally got my sound effect. <laughs> Almost, yeah, it's very nice. And they're not, they're not too wrong. They're, they're, they're ultimately playing it the right way, but through different reasons. And there's some things you need to consider. Right. Okay? Um, first of all, let's look at a couple things. Uh, when you look at the Moncal entry, which is on page 28 of the core rulebook, it mentions two things. First of all, they do have a swim speed of four squares, but they're also expert swimmers, which means, of course, they can re-roll any swim check. they got to take the result. But more importantly, they can choose to take 10 on swim checks. Now, this is where it really comes into play. Okay, You're basically letting your Moncal just take four squares underwater. Okay, Well, 
if you actually look at the swim skill, if it's calm water, all you need is a DC 10 to swim. Okay, uh, actually, uh, you know, and, and, and that kind of kind of varies depending on on the check you make. Um, it's it's a quarter movement for a move action. You can move half movement as a full round action. Well, if they can take 10, he's gonna make 10 every single time, which means he's going to make the DC in calm water no matter what. Right. The difference is, instead of moving as a move action a quarter of his normal speed, he's got a swim speed of four squares. So if he can make a swim check of ten in calm water, he's going to move four squares as opposed to, you know, another six six square character would move two, basically. Um, and he can he can take ten every time, so he's going to do that. So yeah, you've been playing it right just through different reasons. Now here's where it gets complicated. As is detailed in the swim skill, the DC can actually get harder depending on the water conditions. If it's rough water or stormy water, you're looking to DC 15 or 20. So for that Mon Cal to take advantage of his four square swim speed, he would actually need to make a roll and get either a 15 or a 20 in either rough or stormy water. Right. So you're more or less playing it right, but I doubt you guys have been in any conditions other than calm water. Um, so if it is calm water, there's really no point in having him make a swim check because he's gonna, you know, he can just take 10 and make the DC. But uh, you know, if as a hazard or something like that, you want rough or stormy water, he'll need to make the check to take advantage of his four square speed. Okay. Easy enough? I'll take back the, the Price is Right sound effect because it was kind of right. <laughs> it was kind of right. Well, it's a confusing ruling, but uh, there, that's, that's, that's where it is and where it comes from. So we're, we're, we're happy to help answer that question. Yep. And, and it's, it's a little-known fact that when you play the, the Price is Right thing backwards, it actually says, women are of the devil. Really? It's weird. That's weird. Well, you know, I thought it would say, you know, spay and neuter your pets, you know, as Bob Barker's, you know, homage, you know, to The Price is Right. Right. <laughs> but thank you so much, TJ, for giving us a call and posting that on our voicemail. And we encourage all of you guys, you know, we love your emails, but we want to get your voice on the show. So if you're comfortable with it, please give us a call at 206-600-LUSA. Lusa! And uh, leave us your questions, and we'll do our best to get them answered. And we have a lot more coming. Um, I know a lot of you have posted a lot of questions for D20 Docking Bay and several other things. we got a lot of stuff in the pipe, um, and we're getting to it bit by bit as we can. That's so, right. That's right. Well, Dave, <laughs> I uh, made a trip this past week okay. out to Tatooine. Did you now? I most certainly did. This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Tatooine this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you and you get a free chance cube. Uh, we got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. Uh, what do you know? Uh... All right, now I saw the contraption you have in your garage. Okay, I, I want to I give you the pitch Watto gave me, okay? Huh. All right? You ready? I'm ready. All right. Dave, are you rich? Um, no. Are you... Okay, okay, you're not rich. Are you really, really, really rich? Okay, sure. No. Oh, okay. No, no, Do, no, do no, you perhaps belong to a wealthy government or a military agency? Um, no. A well-funded rebellion? Oh, uh, yes. That I am a member of. Are you a noble with a wealth talent? No. Okay. Well, you know what? The back-to-tank could just be the right thing for you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for, for 100,000 credits, that's right, folks, the same cost for an empty back-to-tank as a brand-new Corellian YT-1300 colossal space tra- transport complete with basic lasers, armor plating, and hyperdrive, 
you can buy an empty Bacta tank. <laughs> That's right. Empty. <laughs> um, and even then, to fill it completely with 300 liters of Bacta, you're going to need to pony up another 30,000 credits <laughs> just to fill it with Bacta. Um, However, you could save a little bit of money just by pumping 150 liters into it, which is only 15,000 creds, which is what it has to have in it at all times just to do anything. Ugh. So, you know, there. So, why in God's name, Dave, would anyone spend 100,000 credits on an empty tank of empty Bacta tank and then spend another 30 Gs just to fill it with Bacta? To heal quicker, I suppose. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, a little bit, pretty much. So, I mean, what are the specifics? I mean, it, each hour of treatment when you're soaked in a Bacta tank, each hour uses up a liter. Okay, so basically uh, that's a rather expensive hour you're spending in a Bacta tank. Um, and if you use a Bacta tank in conjunction with surgery, uh, the patient will heal an extra number of hit points equal to their character level. Y- yeah, that that's it. So put um, a level if- two character in there. Hey! Yeah. Um, if you use a Bacta tank to help treat disease, poison, radiation, it will provide a plus five equipment bonus to your treat injury check. Um, is all that worth a thousand, a hundred thousand credits? No. Um, I don't know. The same answer uh, is just from Animal House. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no. <laughs> hell no. No. Hell no. Um, it, it's in my opinion, hell, hella not worth it. Um, if I maybe if I was like a GM and wanted to wow my players with equipment as a reward, okay, hey, okay, wow, you guys found a back to tank. Here you go. Do you have any idea how much this is worth? Ooh, but in terms of just buying it, I mean, considering that I could just you know buy a colossal space transport for the same amount of money, right? Um, yeah, I kinda, don't know that I'd be giving that away as a GM reward, dude. Yeah, because they um, they just sell it, or at least I would. I'd sell it. Yeah. And I'd, hey, look at my new spaceship! <laughs> look at my new spaceship! I bought a used Karelian YT thirteen hundred. I still got twenty G's left over, uh, <laughs> and it is for my dinner. It's for my dinner. Um, so, what can we do to to Five. maybe make this a little more useful? Um, I recommend a possible house rule, and maybe you like this, maybe you don't, but hey, it's a decent house rule. I've seen it used. Um, a night in a Bacta tank will heal you two or even three times your character level in hit points, um, very similar to the use of the vital transfer power. Um, this is not at all game-shattering, um, and uh, especially considering the highly prohibitive cost of the damn thing. So, possible house rule to make it a little more, um, I don't know, equitable? Would you say, Dave? I suppose so, but I don't think we're going to see a back to tank in our future unless we're unless we pulled into port or something crazy like that. Yeah, pretty much. So anyway, it's the back to tank. If you're super rich and don't know what to spend your money on, there it is. It'll kind of help you heal a little bit better. <laughs> cool. Cool. Uh, well, we're, I guess we're moving on to some announcements, aren't we? I guess we are, sir. Why don't you? We are, sir. Go are. for it, man. Threats of the galaxy. Threats of the Galaxy, man. Now, in that last episode, we talked about um, there was a preview on the um, on the Wizards of the Coast website um, previewing two of the droids that were in the upcoming Threats of the Galaxy book, which Rodney Thompson mentioned in uh, his visit with us. But just out this past week on the official Star Wars website, no less, um, you can get a different preview of the Threats of the Galaxy book and get a first look at the Reborn. And uh, those who remember the... Uh, 
funkiness that was Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, which I played the hell out of that game, will remember the Reborn, uh, which are the, uh, you know, takes place in the New Jedi Order era. They're sort of these, you know, manually force-infused dark Jedi that, you know, are like pesky mosquitoes with lightsabers that pepper you. Yeah, very cool. But you can find that link um, on our official site at d20radio.com in the link section and go check it out for yourself if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Seven. <laughs> Well, Dave, I think it's time to move on to the uh, main meat of this cast, wouldn't you say? Sure. Let's start talking about Starship Combat. Let's talk about Starship Combat. Um, I don't know Hate. about you, man. I mean, maybe you can you can share some of your own stories on this, but I, I talk to everybody. I mean, people in the forums and just people in, in my own gaming circles in the community around where I am, and no, everyone just seems to shy away from Starship Combat. I talk to people, and they're like, you know, what, what do you think of the rules? Oh, I just kind of skimmed over the chapter. I didn't really well, we don't really it, you know. know what it is. You know, I mean, people just seem to kind of shy away from it. And I started thinking about why. And I think, and maybe, I mean, you recall, Dave, I mean, because you and I have been playing Star Wars through a couple systems, um, some of the problems that have, we've had in the past with Starship Combat. I mean, in prior systems, Starship Combat has been messy. It's been oh, rules complicated. Yeah. Horrible. Horrible. I mean, there's a jumble of just potential death in, in very quick and easy manners. And it's not been very fun at all. Right. But I want to stress that this is not the case anymore. When you sit down and read the rules for Starship Combat in the core rulebook, the uh, the SWSE rules are quick, they're easy to understand, and they're much less lethal than prior systems. Um, and you know that kind of changes things. Well, the other argument I get from people is like, okay, well we don't really have a pilot in our party, okay, so so what's the point, all right? Well, you don't need to be a dedicated quote-unquote pilot in SWSE to have an effective space battle. I mean, you can make one if you just want to be that badass at it, but it's not essential. And any party of heroes, any party of heroes can be effective in a space battle. And so we want to talk about how and uh, a few other tips and tidbits about running a space encounter as well. Okie dokie. So what do you you think we should talk about first, Dave? Uh, Well, let's let's give like a basic high-level. Okay, well, that's not a bad idea. So uh, kind of just basically, you know, what you need to know to, to blow up TIE Fighters? Pretty much. Okay, well, that's cool. Well, a few a few high-level things that kind of uh, changed some of the prior editions. Um, SWSE actually defines roles in space combat, and this is a bit different. I mean, unlike prior editions, everyone has a role on a ship. Okay, now the core rulebook defines certain roles which, relate, which do relate to feats and talents, so it's important to know what role you fill. Um, sometimes a crewman has multiple roles, okay, such as an X-wing pilot who you know would serve as both a pilot and a gunner. But usually, usually each role is filled by just one person. Now you can change your role from round to round, but only if no other crewman has filled that role since your last turn. So if somebody else has already claimed the, the that role, you can't fill it. All right. Now these roles are important. They serve to not only quantify the encounter and they'll actually make it run smoother. At first, it seemed a little complicated when I read it, but when you get into combat, it, it's just it's just amazing. It runs so much smoother in gameplay. It's like you know, I, I'm gonna go rush to reroute power to the ship. You know, well, sorry, Akbom, you're not the chief engineer. Ak Bowl decided that you know declared that this round, so he's off doing it. You know, pretty much. It, it just kind of quantifies people's roles and they think about what they're gonna do in context of the role they have. So it tends to make decision-making go a little faster. And I know you commented on that, the first Starship combat we ever ran, Dave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was pretty much it. So what are the roles, Dave? What, what roles are, I mean, out there or, I mean, the, that you can fill on a ship? There's pilot. There is co-pilot, which are pretty self-explanatory. You've got a yeah. gunner. You've got a commander, system operator, and chief engineer. Chief engineer. That's right. And, yeah. and you've and also got another crew. Anyone else on the ship whatever. is like other yeah. crew and passenger, right? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. 
but yeah, it's like you know they're all pretty self-explanatory. Um, you know, the pilot's the only one who the only one who can make a pilot check to control the ship. All right, the only character that controls the vehicle's movement. Only one character can be a pilot. Only one character can be a co-pilot. That's the only character who can uh, use the aid another action to help the pilot when he's piloting. Now you can have. Correct me if I'm wrong. You can have multiple gunners, right? Sure. You, well, you kind of have to if you have multiple guns. Well, yeah. I mean, you can have some unmanned, I guess. But I mean, right. yeah. But you I mean you can, like as, as many gun positions it has, it has. You can have gunners. Right. All right. And um, then there's the the commander. Kind of confused me. I mean, the, the book describes it as kind of the brain of the encounter. Um, you know, the the, the you know, the commander sort of directs what the ship does in a general sense, and that kind of makes sense if you're talking about maybe like a you know a, a noble on a, a large star destroyer or something. Right. Um, but you know, in terms of what the PCs do, I kind of see that role being filled by a noble, you know, someone who might access the communication equipment or you know maybe bolster the rest of the crew. Sure. Yeah, a noble, um, I think would be really good to do it. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, now the system operator and the chief engineer are, are kind of kind of different things. Um, and I can see a character filling the role of both commander and system operator kind of easily, because a system operator, per the book, I mean, they manage the ship's shields, the ship's sensors, and the ship's communications. That's Worf. So, like, the bi- I'm sorry? That's Worf. Uh, yeah, pretty much. War, yeah, Worf for Star Trek, basically. <laughs> but, I mean, in, in mechanical terms, basically the guy with the best used, the used computer check. Um, you know, because uh, shield sensors and communications are going to be, you know, pretty much used computer, for the most part, used computer to activate. Um, only one character can do that. And Chief Engineer is the guy, the only character who can manage ship repair during the encounter. Um, so, you know, during an encounter, if your ship's breaking down, you know, the, you know, it needs to be fixed on the fly, the Chief Engineer is the one to do it. So, in terms of fighting in space, Dave, I mean, maybe I guess you'll agree with me, maybe not. It, it's, to me, it seems it's just a lot like fighting on the ground. Yes, yes, I would agree with you entirely. And that was like one of the big things that changed for me is that, you know, it's like, oh, wow, it's like, okay, you know, you're, you're on the starship scale, and, you know, instead of having our little minis that represent us, we just have a single ship, you know, in, in a single square, and it has almost all the same options I do as if I was fighting, you know, yeah. with a ranged weapon. Right, based, yeah, based on the capabilities of the ship. Exactly. Um, now, there are a few exceptions to this. Um, first of all, and one of my favorite ones is initiative. Um, and it, it mentions this in the book. A pilot can substitute his pilot check for initiative when in vehicle combat, and that's incredibly nice, very very nice. Right. Okay. Um, now the talent force initiate, which lets you substitute to use the force check for initiative. Um, if you are a force sensitive pilot with that talent, um, per the Starships of the Galaxy, you can make your use the force check for initiative yeah. when in vehicle combat as well. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. A um, couple other big changes. Um, well, this isn't very different from, from personal fighting, but it is different from previous editions. There's no facing and there's no firing arcs, which I like a lot, um, mostly because it follows that KISS rule, you know? Keep it simple, stupid. Yep. Um, it, it breaks from other editions by keeping it very simple. So I like that a lot. And another huge difference is we have what's called a starship scale in combat. Um, and I guess I, mean, I guess the bottom line is, I mean, having a space battle in character scale simply wouldn't be physically possible. I mean, right. you're talking about ranges of, what, 300, 400 squares, you know? Yeah. Um, so it kind of, you know, zooms it out pretty much, and you're talking about ranges of only a few squares. Um, so this makes it much easier, but it also adds some interesting tactical elements to gameplay. Um, first of all, and I think the biggest change here is vehicle weapon ranges. Now, you can find this on Table 10-2, which is in page 168 of the Core Rulebook. Vehicle weapon ranges in starship scale are short. Oh like, yeah, like really, really short. Far I mean, shot. Like, yeah, yeah. Far shot. Excellent. I mean, like the the best weapons in the game. The best weapons in the game. I mean, only have a, a point blank range of like three or four squares. That's it. 
Okay, so anything beyond three or four squares, you're, you know, you're taking penalties. So range penalties are huge, and they come into play frequently. And I find this brilliant because I'm such a fan of the films. And when you watch the films, you always see, you know, these you know fighters flying by each other, and there's laser fire going everywhere, and nobody seems to be getting hit except rarely. Okay, and you're like, uh huh. Well, that kind of makes sense if you consider range penalties. Um, and as you said, of course, far shot becomes an incredibly valuable feat and is an awesome feat for a gunner. Um, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yes. Now, attack rolls um, are a bit different with with starship vehicles as well, starship vehicle weapons as well. Um, you know, the traditional formula, Dave. You know, if you know you just your base attack bonus plus your dex. You know, for ranged attacks. Yeah. Uh, which is what it was with prior system. Um, is is now quite different for starship weapons. Your dex never actually comes into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, weapon attack rolls are your base attack bonus plus the vehicle's intelligence modifier. Um, plus, of course, any range penalty. Now, what do you think about this change? I kind of like it because you know you're not controlling the, you know, the, the, the gun's movement with your dexterity. The ship is doing that, depending on how intelligent it is. You right. know, you're just using your own combat acumen. I mean, do you like that change, or do you think it would be better if you had your own dex? No, I, I well, I think I'm split. Um, okay. Simply because you are, in some cases, maneuvering a very large weapon, mm-hmm. and on the Millennium Falcon, those the guns were big, but their controls were fairly easy to they, manipulate. They seem, they seem to almost rely on your decks, yeah. Right, but then if you get into the big the big battle that they had on Grievous's ship and all that, those things were humongous, and so yeah. I would see more of a strength modifier for that. Yeah, I mean if you if you're controlling it in that manner, you know. Right. But I mean if you're if you're you know it's it's one of those things. I I can see arguments for both, but you know the vehicle's intelligence modifier. What it really does is mechanically it adds value to a ship that has a high intelligence. You know right. what? A ship with a badass targeting computer is going to do a lot better. And even in the Millennium Falcon, you know they're using those targeting computers. You know those old you know Commodore sixty four looking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Graphics yeah. So I mean, yeah, six and one half does the other, and and I, yeah. you know, I I it it, it speaks more to. Well, our next point was going to be base attack bonus. Yeah, and that's really that's really a huge point here because considering that your own abilities don't come into play, it's just your base attack bonus. This means that a melee monster like a Jedi um, is actually and, and rather atypically an excellent gunner um, because aside from feats, the only thing he's contributing is his base attack bonus. Okay, his dex. If he's got a dex of six, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and you know, if he's a, and if he's a melee machine, his de- his base attack bonus is probably pretty good. Right. Um, so I mean that really adds a role. So you you know you got a you know your Gamorian you know Viberwax wielding behemoth is on the ship going. Oh, this sucks, man. It's space combat. I can't do anything. I mean he he can do something. Get him Grab to a gunner gun, station. You know, he's gonna have yeah. Wow. He's gonna have an excellent shot. Yeah. Um, and it's also worth noting um, if the weapon is pilot controlled, and uh, such as like like you know if you're if you're in a single single man fighter, okay. And the pilot is trained in the pilot skill, which I, I certainly hope the pilot would be. He gets an automatic plus two to the attack roll. Right. And that's big. Okay. So keep that in mind as you're playing pilots. There you go. Um, but, I mean, other than that, uh, you know, any, most anything like we were saying, most anything a character combatant can do on his own, a ship can do in space. Um, I mean, I think the system is brilliant. It's very intuitive to, to play. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of common actions uh, that you can do, and this is by no means a, a comprehensive list. But, I mean, what all can you do, you know, in space, you know, that you can also do in character scale, Dave? Uh, aim. You can aim. It's Two swift easy. actions. Yeah. Aim with the vehicle. Very weapons. easy. Yeah. Um, you've got attack run, which is very, very similar to charge action. Dogfight, which is really similar to grapple. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, oh, I'm 
Reroute power, the, like recover. Yeah, that's recover. Yeah, that's a good. One. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like reroute power. I mean, that's like essentially what, like the the what is the the recover, the recover action. action. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know three swifts, and this is something that your your you know chief engineer would do in that role. You know, I'm going to reroute power. You know, and spend three swift actions and move the ship one step up the condition track. Right. Um, and similarly, there's another um, you know three swifts can can perform the recharge shield action, which can bring the ship's uh, shield rating their SR up by five um, to to the shield's max, which right. is which is kind of cool. Um, I really like dogfight. I mean, because I mean, it's it's functionally like you say, it's just like a grapple. I mean, you got you got opposed pilot checks to enter into a dogfight, and the list of dogfight op- options are are almost identical to the the various actions you can do during a grapple. Um, and I, I really I really like that. A dogfight is a really cool uh, cinematic idea, and it's a, a great way to to win ship to ship battles. Yeah. So very cool, and I mean there there are many new options too. Um, recharging shields, like we said, uh, ramming, such like that. We're not going to go into each option on the cast today. I mean it's all pretty black and white um, there in chapter ten of the core rule book. Um, what we really want to do is is go into some more more detailed specifics and making the most out of the options that are there. Yep. Um, so with that, we want to move into uh, start talking about making the most out of your character in Starship Combat, or uh, what I like to call the Wedge Antilles. I want to be. Uh, um, I'd rather be Porkins. Char- I'm sorry. I'd rather be Porkins. You'd be dead I if would you were be. Porkins. But I'd eject. But, yeah. Plus, you'd have died happy. Yeah. With my chicken fried steak. <laughs> your bucket of fried chicken and my, your right. Slurpee in your cockpit. That's right. The Slurpee. The, the Slurpee. The, the, um, the, the, the Slurpee in a giant super big gulp cup. That's what it would oh, be. Yeah. You don't wonder if they have cup holders in X-Wings. Uh, I would say probably not, but they retrofitted Porkins for one. Probably they probably had to retrofit a lot for Porkins, including the size of the seat. <laughs> Poor Porkins. You know, hey, that's okay. He's a good pilot. It's okay that he died. Well, uh, you know, in terms of maximizing your character in Starship Combat, um, if you want to make a, a Porkins or a, a Wedge Antilles, you know, type of character, I mean, obviously the Ace Pilot Prestige class that you know remember we discussed two episodes ago. I mean, that's brilliant for making one of the best pilots available. And it's worth noting as well, in the Starships of the Galaxy, the the most recent source book that came out, the supplement book, they have pretty much an entirely expanded um, talent section for the ace pilot. And there's a lot of options in there, a lot more for it to do. Right. Um, So that's very cool. But in terms of of base classes, um, any base class has access to the pilot as a trained skill. Okay, so unlike other personal combat areas, each class can use their existing talents, their existing feats, and their you know their their existing skills to contribute to starship combat, um, which I think is is really really cool. And there's a huge section of this that's clarified really heavily in Chapter One of Starships of the Galaxy, um, where they talk about they, they go through each and every single class and they talk about various talents within the class and how they can apply to starship combat. Um, like you remember when we were talking about um, Ace Pilot, Dave, you mentioned that you thought Noble would be an excellent choice for an Ace Pilot, and I totally agreed because one of the things they do in Starships of the Galaxy is they list, they say all these noble talents that apply to starship combat. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like Rally, you know, affects, you know, neighboring ships, you know, stuff like that. And that's just, that's huge. So, you know, I think, you know, I think every class has the ability to, to contribute to Starship Combat. And, you know, really, if you haven't checked out or purchased Starships of the Galaxy, do it, man. It's, it's a great book. Um, it talks a lot about that. Right. But I think, uh, Dave, there's there's a full-on pilot's going to want to take two specific feats as quickly as they can, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, without question. They're going to need to take vehicular combat and starship tactics. Absolutely. I like vehicular combat. Um, 
I mean, which is out of the which is out of the core rulebook. Because I mean, in my opinion, making a skill check, you know, pilot to negate an attack against your ship once around is the shizzle. Um, <laughs> yeah. Plus, I, th- I think it's a it's also a prereq for starship tactics, is right? It? Yeah. So you gotta have one to get the other. Yeah. Okay. And starship tactics. That's that's in star that's in starships of the galaxy. That's one of the newer feats, right? Yeah. And I, I that's just uh, that's awesome. That, that feat is like functionally identical to force training, except it's for starship maneuvers, which is uh, one of the new mechanics in Starships of the Galaxy. Yeah. Um, where you can see you know, these per encounter powers for space fights, and you, I mean, it's it's literally functionally identical. You can even regain spent maneuvers with a roll of a natural twenty on your pilot check. Right. 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 The same way a force user can roll that UTF twenty and and get you his get force, power force powers back. Force powers back. Um. Well. Well. Dang, I mean, let's let's talk about some of these starship maneuvers, man. I mean, I know when you when, when we first got this book and sat down and looked poured through it, you were just kind of blown away by some of these maneuvers. That was yeah, I I I'm all about the guns. So the gunner maneuvers, <laughs> yeah, the gunner maneuvers were sick. They are sick. I mean, they're explosive shot, dude, dude, to target the fuel cells. Oh, that is oh, that's the yeah, shizzle. I, and we, we've seen it used to good effect. Well, you bring up a point. Talk about gun maneuvers. Let's let's take just a moment and kind of quantify these maneuvers, okay, and differentiate between them. Um, for there, there's several different types, um, and f- you're going to see they, they're kind of they, they'll list the maneuver, and then in like little parentheses behind it, little you know brackets behind it, they'll list a uh, you know sometimes they'll have one, sometimes they won't have sort of a quantifier. It's like you know attack pattern, gunner, you know stuff like that. Um, attack patterns are, are pretty damn cool. Um, an attack pattern is a maneuver that when you activate it, it lasts the entire encounter, okay, unless it's replaced. Okay. Um, and also, as Dave mentions with the gunner uh, maneuvers, keep in mind, you don't even need to be a pilot uh, to take these maneuvers and use them. I mean, there are no less than five gunner maneuvers uh, that can be used by those who prize their skill behind a ship's weapon emplacement, okay? Guys who never touch the controls that move the ship, all right? And they can make use of this. Um, well, let's talk about the gunner maneuvers that you're so keen on, Dave. Um, the explosive shot. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, the, the, you, say, you mentioned explosive shot. I freaking love that one. But, I mean, they they're all seem like they're designed to, to do kind of massive extra damage on a hit, you know, or, or disable, like, various ship systems or, or, you know, damage adjacent targets, stuff like that. Now, explosive shot that you mentioned, you're, you're targeting the fuel cells, right? Right. And correct me if I'm wrong. If if the if if my memory serves, if the target's destroyed, depending on like how much your attack roll exceeds the reflex defense of the adjacent ships, those ships can take like massive damage from the explosion that as it occurs. Right. Right. How, how awesome I, is that? Yeah. Yeah. And you remember that? Remember when we when we first saw this? I mean, what was it? Our I think it was the Mon Cal pilot, a uh, scoundrel that that used this uh, the first first time we used this he took out like an entire squadron of of nine tie fighters with this maneuver yeah um just because he did it and he exploded every single one around them it was um, massive collateral damage it was huge i mean that, that took out like half the half the enemies on the you know on on the battle mat i remember a certain gm getting very pissed off when that happened because i wasn't he... i was not pissed just Surprised. Annoyed slightly that you know what would should have been a ten or twelve round encounter ended up being a three round encounter. Well, that's because um, we're just bad badass. Yes, <laughs> yes, I'll concede that point. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, um, another, I guess, uh, uh, type of maneuver, um, which is in the brackets, of course, is dogfight maneuvers. Now we mentioned dogfighting earlier, which is kind of like the grappling for a starship, um, and cinematically. The two ships are literally in adjacent squares to each other, but cinematically, it's you know they're they're flying in around these two squares, just you know dogfighting each other continuously, basically. Um, in my opinion, I mean, 
maybe you disagree with me, Dave. I think these things have varying degrees of usefulness and uselessness. Um, there's certain pilot builds, namely those that take dogfight maneuvers, that, that love dogfights. Okay? And quite frankly, I mean, for the consummate pilot, you should be loving yeah. a dogfight. Yeah. Because when you get into a dogfight, it's just like grapple. You don't make an attack roll to attack your enemy. You make an, a, a, a pilot check. Okay? So, I mean, if you're a good pilot, you, your pilot check should be through the roof, man. You should have, you know, if, if, that's, your main, if that's your bread and butter is piloting, there's no reason you're not going to have taken skill-focused pilot, okay, and be trained in pilot and have hella high decks, okay, and anything else you can. So if you can make a pilot check and substitute it for an attack roll, why would you not, okay? So that's, that's kind of why, why I look at, li- like it a lot. Um, do, you have a, do you have a personal favorite when it comes to the, to the dogfight maneuvers, Dave? Um, no. No, I, counter, there's a lot of good ones. I like you. I was gonna say I like counter. Now yeah. you mentioned you know earlier in that one game, we we saw this used to good effect too because this was one of the maneuvers that 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 Moncal pilot had, um, and I really like it. And well, I got I got actually got really frustrated at it <laughs> because which which means it's great when your GM gets frustrated. It's a good choice for your character. Um, he, you can make a pilot check as a reaction. Uh, when you get attacked, to get free standard move and swift actions. They don't mess with your initiative order. You just get free reactions to do standard actions and attacks and stuff like that. So, yes, please. I really like counter. May I have another? May I have another? Absolutely. Nine. Well, uh, continuing with our talk about attack patterns, which we mentioned are the type of maneuvers that you know you activate and they last the entire encounter, take one. Take at least one. <laughs> I mean, sheesh. <laughs> it, it lasts you all encounter, you ninny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, um, they they usually function though in conjunction with allied ships. Okay. So if, if you're a party that's manning a single like freighter, you know, or a cruiser, um, or you know your standard souped up, you know, Curly and YT thirteen hundred, um, you might have a few uh, fewer options here. Um, so when it comes to my personal favorites, if you are part of a squadron, if you guys are all in, in fighters, okay, you got multiple ships. I love the Howl Runner formation. Um, is probably my my primary attack pattern. Why um, does it give you the, does it give you the most amazing you know bonuses? No, but it, it's one of the few that gives you no penalties. So you activate it, you have no penalties. But if you're adjacent to an ally, you and he, if he's got it activated as well, get a plus one bonus uh, to your attack rolls. So that's pretty freaking cool. Now, if you're on a solo ship like that, you know, souped-up Corellian YT, um, <laughs> I uh, I love overwhelming assault. This is a you know, again, you have you have sort of a a talent or ability that replicates an existing feat, which usually makes it pretty well balanced. But this basically gives you power attack with a two-handed weapon while using your starship. Um, you you designate one target. And, you know, you declare the, the overwhelming assault, and you take a, a minus to your attack rolls and get a bonus to your damage rolls equal to two times the penalty you took. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of this just all-out, you know, booyah. I like it a lot. Ramming speed! Ramming speed. Well, ramming has its own mechanics, and it's it's uh, actually a very cool option, but we'll be talking about that in just a moment. Um, well, okay, so there's there's a host of other maneuvers in the book, Dave. I mean, what? There's like three dozen, I think. Oh, there's um, a to, yeah, there's to, a ton. There's, there's one ton. named after okay. it's a trap. <laughs> it's a it's a trap. Um, and there's there's a few of those that aren't specifically you know part of the attack pattern or dogfight or any of that that we kind of want to talk about specifically because um, we've seen them used with the most ease and to the greatest effect in combat. Um, as you mentioned, um, I'm an actual huge fan of the Akbar slash. Uh, you know, which it's a trap, uh, which supposedly was pioneered by Admiral Akbar. Um, uh, you know, in in the in the actual uh, Battle of Endor, 
and uh, it's basically the idea is cinematically you're taking your ship and you're you're weaving it in between your enemies, and so that their attacks will miss you and then hit their hit their own ships basically. Yeah. So the the meat of it is if an attack against you misses, you can force the missed shot to target an adjacent enemy instead. You know that was really Lando's idea. Well, everything was Lando's idea. You know, it's, it's Billy D. Billy D. Williams. Yeah. You gotta give them that respect he's due. But okay, whatever. Why is this this maneuver so freaking wicked? Well, why do you think it's so wicked, Dave? Well, um, because you always somebody always misses. Somebody always misses, and they're going to miss even more because, as a prerequisite for even having this maneuver to begin with, you have to have vehicular combat. Duh. You have to, and so that means that, I mean, if you make a pilot check, you can a proper pilot check. You have a guaranteed missed shot every single round, most likely. All right, so goodness why not so that, that's really why i like the akbar slash use it can use it in conjunction with vehicular combat you'll be glad you did that's right now my personal um one of i guess for for, for other reasons my personal favorite um, of course in the book uh can you guess what that is dave i have you now why don't you put on your darth helmet voice i have my you now darth helmet voice you have to think about darth helmet voice well you know we haven't That's, mentioned Screaming Bee in a while, but, uh, you know, no, we do we have that we, we, you know, If you guys do go to ScreamingBee.com, you can get download a free demo of Morph Vox. Box, which, of course, allows us to make interesting voices on the air through many different things. Of course. And you it's, say, and it's I so have effective. You now. I have you now. All too easy. All too easy. Just don't order Kung Pao Chicken again because people get mad. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, but I have you now, aside from the Vader reference, um, I love this this maneuver for the same reason I love the Hunter's Mark talent for a bounty hunter. Um, you get to move a foe down the condition track easier. Um, now, when you read it initially, it doesn't sound like it does a whole hell of a lot, but when you start to analyze it, you realize that it does. Um, basically, what it does is when you activate it, you get to move a foe down the condition track if you do damage greater than the ship's fortitude defense. Not damage threshold. Right. Fortitude defense. Now, fortitude defense is actually usually pretty low on a ship. The damage threshold takes into account the size bonus. Okay, right, right. fortitude defense does not. So basically, it's a heck of a lot easier to do damage and move somebody down the condition track when you're activating this uh, this right. maneuver. So right. that's why I like it. Plus, right. if you get good enough, you get like massive bonuses to your attack roll and stuff. So, yep, very cool. And the last maneuver we really want to mention, and we really want to mention it because it's the only only force-sensitive starship maneuver in this book, in Starships of the Galaxy, uh, yes. is target sense. And th- this is what? Basically, Luke turning off his targeting computer, you That's know, right. when uh, when doing his attack run on the Death Star? That's right. Um, it's basically, it, it's key to a use the force check, not a pilot check. And it lets you, first and foremost, scrap your vehicle's intelligence bonus to attack rolls and replace it with your with your own charisma modifier. Um, which is often going to be higher than the vehicle's intelligence bonus. And furthermore, based on your use the force check, it can net you even more bonuses, depending on how high you roll. Yep. So, uh, Good stuff. Kind of cool. Kind of cool. If you do want to play a Jedi um, and you're getting behind the wheel of a, of a starship, there is, of course, um, Force Pilot, which is a cool talent that lets you replace pilot checks with use the force checks. Um, and per Starships of the Galaxy, anytime you could, if, if you have that talent... Anytime you could make a pilot check to do a maneuver or anything else, you can just make a use the force check instead. So, again, you know, you're keying all your abilities off one skill. Very cool. Right. Very cool. Well, we've run a handful of good starship encounters, Dave, wouldn't you say? I would say so, and that's probably the next thing we need to talk about is how you can build a good starship encounter. Now, don't get me wrong. We've run uh, more than a handful of bad starship encounters. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> wouldn't you say? I mean, it's, it's a trial and error process. But first of all, I really would encourage you all um, to go out, pick up Starships of the Galaxy, and check out page 30, okay? They, talk, they have some really good advice there, and it's not just crunch. It's good fluff and design suggestions written by the devs of the game. And every word of it is just about pretty damn good gold. Um, in terms of building a proper, uh, evenly balanced starship encounter. So what's our advice? Um, what would be your first piece of advice in building a good starship encounter, Dave? Add fluff. Start small. You know, by fluff, I mean, like, little things. Little non-enemy objects. Non-enemy objects. Like, what, like debris, asteroids? Like yeah, you know, like, like, yeah, like parts and whatever stuff just floating around in the upper atmosphere, satellites, whatever, whatever. Because it's, I don't know, it's fun. Well, it is fun, but I mean, beyond that, on a mechanical level, man, I think open space is is often the bane of the PCs because only rarely do they command, you know, a, a colossal star destroyer that's going to function best in open space. Right. Usually, you know, your PCs are going to function best when they have the opportunity to have cover. Yeah, um, you're weaving in and out of asteroids. Exactly. And, yeah. Plus, it's it's free. It's like you say, man, it's freaking exciting. You know, yeah. you know, you you got the excitement of avoiding a collision. You know, it's going to add to the encounter. Right. So, I mean, throw the asteroids out there, derelict ships, um, you know, hunks of debris. You know, if you're fighting above, you know, in the upper atmosphere of, you know, Coruscant, you know, there should be about, what, billions of satellites flying around? Yeah, at least. Yeah, at least. So, you know, I mean, it'll it'll add to a lot. Now, you also mentioned you said starting small. Meaning, you know, don't go for for the rebel fleet against, (laughs) you know, I mean, don't go, don't, don't. You know, it, it makes it way too hard. It does, especially if you're trying to introduce your players to the basic mechanic itself. Um, I, I agree with Dave totally. Um, nix the number of ships, nix the, the number of ships that they have, nix the number of enemies that are out there. Our I recommend, first. you know, I mean, we recommended this too when we were talking about yeah. actually Starships of the Galaxy book way back when. You know that you know, I mean, single fighters are deadly for your PCs to an extent. I mean, yeah, good grief. You get uh, blown up. What what are you gonna do? You get blown. You I mean you're blown up, and you know you, you don't have you don't have hardly any shield rating. You know your small hit points for your fighter. It's very easy to die. Um, so you know get all your crew members on a ship that has you know multiple gun emplacements and you know stuff for everyone to do. Something like of the Millennium Falcon, you know, or you know a, a job a job like that, you know, or you know Slave One, you know, or something something to that effect. Yeah. And um, you know only a handful of enemies. You know get the basic combat mechanics down. Um, now, right. something that tripped us up when we first, you know, it took us, oh. took us a, few, a few sessions to, to kind of understand. Understand starship scale and how it works. Right. Don't put your ships 30 squares apart on the battle mat. I mean, there'll be six rounds before anyone gets close enough to even fire accurately. I mean, people get confused by the fact that starship battles take place on this relatively tiny space on the battle mat. But, I mean, when, when, you, when you consider that the fastest ships have speeds of, like, six squares, and, and the point-blank shot for basic weapons is, like, one square, maybe two. I mean, it usually sinks in rather quickly, but, you know, right. when you're used to fighting in a character scale, it, it can be kind of hard. You know, starship scale, you know, is designed to be kind of clumped up. I mean, most ships. I mean, aside from really colossal crap, don't take up beyond one space on the on the on the battle mat. So you know, have your ships start fairly close together. Otherwise, you're going to be finding yourself basically, you know, uh, okay, I you know spend a whole round to move two squares closer and then fire and miss, you know, and it it gets a little monotonous. So okay. understand starship scale. Yep, pretty much. Now, there have been a couple suggestions um, that we kind of wanted to end this discussion on in terms of, of some alternate rules and some yeah. house rules. 
Um, I actually got ninjaed by uh, Seikos um, on our forums about this before I got the chance to suggest it today on the cast um, because uh, during midweek this this uh, gentleman uh, or, or gentlewoman, I'm not sure, um, joined our forums and brought it up himself on our forums. But he originally brought this suggestion up on the Gleamax's forums um, regarding rapid shot. Now, I think this is a marvelous house rule, and I want to share it. Um, he suggested that. Um, now, you remember when we had Rodney on the cast, Dave? Um, yeah, we had uh, Jedi Master, Master. Yeah. Rodney Thompson on the cast. And I talked about how I loved Rapid Shot because of the fact that the strength prerequisite of 13 made sense to me. Right. You know, because it, you know, it, it was, you know, it had you, made you kind of diversify your attributes somewhat. And plus, you needed the strength to handle the recoil. Right. And then he blew my mind by saying, okay, we're thinking about irradiating that away. out yeah. because of the fact that it doesn't make sense when you're talking about a starship weapon. Because you know, your strength doesn't come into play. You know, the, the weapon's bolted to the hole. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really yeah. matter at all. Right. Um, so Seiko suggested, he said, okay, well, considering that, all right, um, when dealing with starship weapons, how about a character with the rapid shot feet, okay, doesn't need a strength prerequisite of 13. How about instead the ship must have a strength of 13, kind of, you know, for the ship itself or the hull to handle that level of recoil. Okay. Um, another option also would be for the ship to have an, inte- instead of instead of a sh- ship having a strength of 13, the ship having an intelligence of 13. In other words, the targeting computer has to be sophisticated enough to handle that rapid shot. Uh. And, you know, I, I think that I, I think it was kind of a good suggestion. I mean, I mean, maybe not the intelligence, but definitely the strength. Yeah, okay? the strength, yeah. Considering that. Now... Um, Rodney himself actually got on the Gleamax forum and basically said, okay, yeah, this is a neat idea, but you couldn't do it because, you know, if the gunner didn't have a strength of 13 anyway, he couldn't have taken the feat, <laughs> which kind of makes sense. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Should I fire but off for, the sound for, effect, a, for a house rule, I'm sorry? Nothing. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> but no, but seriously, man, I mean, for a house rule, um, if you wanted to make it to where, you know, the, the, even even though you had you have to have a strength of 13 to take the feat, the ship has to have a strength of 13 to use rapid shot on the ship weapons, that makes sense to me. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, so that, that, makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense. And if you want to house rule it to where you can take the feat if you don't have a strength of 13, but you can't use the feat unless you have a strength of 13, um, uh, you know, and, or, or, of course, if the ship has a strength of 13, that might not be a bad idea either. Right. To each your own. To each your own. And um, another yeah, um, alternate rule, house rule, that we kind of wanted to pass on was, um, you actually brought this up to me, Dave. It was the idea of adding an extra, an extra position among the crew. Reg. Reg, <laughs> pretty much. Um, um, <laughs> you remember that from oh yes, next yes, generation. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, adding Reg. Uh, the the idea of creating a position called the co-engineer. Right. Um, and there's a couple groups that we've seen that have that have added this new position to the crew. Um, this co-engineer, which literally functions identically to the co-pilot, except that he can assist the chief engineer with aid and other actions. Yep. Um, so if you've got a party that has multiple mechanically adept characters, um, or perhaps maybe you have a noble who's purchased a mechanical droid, you know, like a you know a you know, so, you know like an R2 unit or whatnot. Yep. Um, to contribute more. So that's really not a bad suggestion at yeah. all. Yeah. No. I like it. Pretty much. I like it. Well, there's so much more to cover. I mean, with Starship Combat, but obviously we, you know, we're running short, we're running short on time, and uh, there's only so much we can talk about. But I hope that that kind of basic overview helps, you know, lead you guys into realizing that this is something you can do. It's very easy to do. Um, all the rules are pretty much the same. Starships have reflex defenses and fortitude defenses, the same way player characters do. Um, attack rolls are resilient and damage thresholds, and you know, and and condition track, and, and all the things you're used to with your character combat. It's almost identical with starship combat, and it makes it very intuitive and very simple. And uh, I mean, it honestly is. I mean, it, of, of the entire vehicles chapter in the core rulebook, I mean, what? There's like there's like four pages talking about starship combat. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. That's it. That's it. You know, it's, there's nothing it's to a, it. Yeah, it's nothing. I mean, there's a, it's a very intuitive system. Give it a whirl. Hopefully some of the advice we've given you will help make your Starship combats a little bit better. It is fun. It is fun. And if you guys want further suggestions or help or anything else like that, we encourage you to go ahead and get to our forum community at d20radio.com slash forum. Yep. Join up. Post your mind. Get your ideas out there. We uh, host a wonderfully supportive community. Um, we're real out-of-the-box thinkers. That uh, A bunch of great, great, great gamers um, that are always willing to help and advise um, and uh, add their knowledge to the pool. Absolutely mente. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, on that note, Dave, I think um, I, I think it's possibly time to move on to our D20 docking bay. Um, do you have any kind of feeling? I think... I think... <laughs> no, no, I really don't. I don't have any kind of feeling at all. <laughs> well, in answer to your verbal volleyball forums, guess what? I have a bad feeling about this. And it will be the only time you'll hear it in the show, and I challenge you to find me a time when I said it twice in any one show. Dang it. We're gonna get like a we're gonna get a mix. I know we're gonna get like a rave mix. You know, <laughs> I get a bad feeling about this. Oh, oh, oh. See, now that's <laughs> twice. And that'll be the first time you're gonna hear it twice. So <laughs> And have a nice day. Have a nice day. Oh, speaking of that, I'm getting way off track here. We need to find TK. Yeah, we can try. Yeah, <laughs> we can try. TK, TK, TK four two one, are you at your post, sir? Hello. Of course not. Well, hey guys, how the hell you hoes are doing? Oh, it's about time. Yeah. I hate you. Oh. Why, man? I love you. <laughs> All right. Where are you at this week? Oh, man. I'm back on Gamor this week, man. Gamor? <laughs> you didn't have enough hell. fun with the Gamorians last time? Oh, man, I'm on short leave, man. I came back here for vacation. You can't. Okay. Oh man, it's just good. It's good barbecue here, son. Let me tell you what. You know what the best part about Gamora is? What? Damn. Well, there's two things. There's them sexy Gamorian women, man. I tell you what, man. That just does it for me right there with the squealing and all the, you know, the green, the greenness, man. Reminds me of home. Whatever you say. Well, man, I came here looking for something special, man. I couldn't quite find it though. All right. Please uh, elaborate. You, 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 you know, you know, you know, I got them, uh, them fibro axes. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I love them things. Man, I don't get a chance to use it, you know, that clashes with my uniform, you know. Yeah. But uh, I got one under my bunk just in case them dirty riding rebels break in. You know, I can hack them up, you know, when, when my blaster ain't handy. Right. But I was wanting one that was really big, like a lot bigger. You know, like, like I'm not happy with the one I have, man. It just ain't doing enough for me. So you want a bigger weapon, in other words. Well, yeah, kind of pretty much, man. You know, I mean, that, that the Vibroax just ain't cutting it, son. So I came here, because they use them a lot around here. I came here looking for one, man. I've had the darnest time trying to find anything like it, man. Nobody seems to make a bigger one, man. So I'm just kind of giving up at this point, man. I think I'm just going to maybe tape a broom handle to the bottom of the one I got and just, you know, call it a day. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Well, listen, hosers, I can't talk too long, man. I got a lot more sitting and listening and talking and flirting to do with some of these fine Gamorian women around here, sons. And a little bit of hunting barbecue eating to do, too, son. So I'm, I'm going to enjoy my short leave, but I'm going to be back on duty next week. All right. I'll give you hosers a call. All right. See ya. Later, hosers. Later. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. What is he? What is the problem? 
That is a sad, sad, scary man. I don't, uh, I don't know, man. Each week, I, I just get more and more fearful for the beauty of of the empire, and you know, when it when it will employ an individual like that. It, it, what's more, in the most sacred capacity of of a stormtrooper, I um, I, I don't know. I, I, I just got to question sometimes the the decision making abilities of some of the people in in the higher command. You know, I think honestly, if Emperor Palpatine and his wisdom were to find out about it, he would certainly take action. I don't think so. Oh, I, I don't know. I think we're gonna have to agree to disagree on that. I think that's why the ultimately, I think that's why the rebels will succeed and the empire will fall. Oh, those terrorists are not going to do much more. You know, you know they're they're hunting them down each day. They'll find them. They'll find them. Trust me, with with people, you know, you know, competent stormtroopers out there, I really don't think it's going to be too big of a problem. Do you think really? they're going to find them and arrest them? Yes. I think they're I'm going to find you and arrest you <laughs> and your little soundboard. <laughs> Freak. I love it. It's so God. Fun. All right, let's get well, to the docking bay, eh? I, let's do it. I Twenty docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. All right. So let's be talking about weapon sizes. Let's be talking about weapon sizes. Now, this was posted up on our forums, where, of course, you guys can proposit questions for the D20 docking bay. Um, thanks to this, uh, for actually Lord Ironballs and the Notorious KFC, uh, two of our more prolific posters, um, who kind of built upon each other to proposit this question. Um, and uh, the bottom line of Lord Ironball's question was, he basically posted, he said, okay, listen, as far as I know, there's nothing in the bulk that divulges the complete scale of weapon sizes and damage dice. Right. So he says, you know, what are the chances that SWSC will adopt the latest D&D scale? You know, I wonder. And then the Notorious KFC elaborates on He says, you know, okay, listen, it's not just about the size and the weapon damage, but the size of the character, okay? So... Say, for instance, if you have a large character who wanted to wield a large vibroaxe, okay? Well, for a medium character, they have to wield a vibroaxe in two hands. It does two die ten of damage. Does that mean if you have a large-sized character wanting to wield a large-sized vibroaxe, what damage die would go up? How would you work it? Um, you know, he says, you know, I know this opens up a whole can of worms, you know, if we brought lightsabers into it and all that. But, you know, it is interesting that they didn't include a table or something in the book. Could it possibly be because there are no large character races listed in the core rulebook? Right. So... Here's my two credits. All right, let me share with you my train of thought. No, there is no official nod towards weapon sizes, no table, no dev ruling, and in my opinion, there damn well shouldn't be. Why? Well, does Sorrel Sub Dave manufacture small vibro axes for the Ewoks of the galaxy? Um, no. No. Does Blast Tech create large heavy blaster pistols for the handful of large races in the galaxy? Oh, let me think about it. No. No. Why? Because they work Be just fine. They work just fine because the current weapons work just fine. And more importantly, mechanically, rules exist for large and small creatures to use them. Right. Many of us who are weaned on D&D &D and play 3rd edition D&D &D quite a bit, um, which of course is the most popular Wizards of the Coast product, um, we are used to there being a size penalty um, for small characters wielding a medium weapon and whatnot. Well, that's not the case in Star Wars Saga Edition. The weapon does what the weapon does. Uh, the only restriction is, is whether or not you can hold it or what it takes to hold it. An Ewok can wield a full-size lightsaber um, 
just fine. I mean, if he's proficient with it, the only thing is he has to use it with both hands because it's one size category bigger than him. Okay, and that same Ewok needs two hands to fire a heavy blaster pistol. I mean, since it's a medium-sized weapon and he's small, and a blaster rifle, he just flat out can't use. It's just bigger than he can hold. Okay, but when you're talking about damage dice, okay, um, in, in my opinion, and I've played, you know, because I'm speaking to D and D here specifically because there was a nod made to that. One of the more broken aspects of that game, in my opinion, and uh, one of the things I really hope they fix with 4th edition, we'll see, um, is weapon-sizing charts. Um, yeah. and it it kind of makes sense, okay? If I have a huge great sword, yeah, it's going to do more damage, that's fine. But when you're talking about Star Wars and blaster pistols, okay, um, you know, and, and energy weapons, it's kind of the same amount of energy produced, okay? Does that make sense, Dave? Yep. So... You know, but by the same thing, you know, I mean, we talked about an Ewok, a large PC. I mean, they can use any of the existing weapons just fine. All right. Uh, and a large PC can hold a heavy blaster rifle, because, even though it's large, in, a, in his one hand because he's large, too. And you know what? If you were to take a, <laughs> a heavy blaster pistol and scale its damage dice up, um, you would be scaled up to a heavy blaster rifle. And that large character can still hold it in one hand. So, you know, there's kind of no need. Do a wheel. Um, yeah, I mean, you can do dual wielding for Pete's sake. Yep. Um, the only time in the core rulebook we see an example of identical weapons, or nearly identical weapons, with different size damages um, is the lightsaber, which is a medium weapon, and the shoto, or the, the short lightsaber, which is small. Now, in my opinion, the shoto was included for two reasons. One, to keep with canon, because we see Yoda using one, okay? And also, it provides small Jedi with a lightsaber that they can wield that can be held in one hand, okay? Because, the, the, the you know... A lightsaber is the only modern weapon that a Jedi can use, and you want to give them the option to hold it, wield it in one hand if they need to. Okay, so pretty much that's it. Right. Um, but honestly, I mean, I think the size wielding rules already take care of it. I'd never create a large heavy blaster pistol, you know, or any other ranged weapon for that matter, because one step up always exists, pretty much. Now, if you wanted to house rule a large melee weapon, all right, like a lightsaber or a vibroaxe, you know, it's your game. Do what you want to do. It's your call. Um, I would never allow a weapon to get above D12 in damage, ever. I mean, at that point, it's already silly, okay? If you're a large creature that can already per raw wield two die 10 vibro axes in each one of your hands, I mean, do you really need no. a two die 12 no. large vibro axe? It's unbalanced. I mean, really? Yeah. Really? So, I don't know. I, I just don't kind of see the need for it. I think the system takes care of it beautifully right now. Um, at the point you start having sizing charts, you would need to, mechanically for balance, start having to institute size penalties for, you know, large creatures using, you know, medium weapons and, you know, stuff like that. And then it just becomes a big old headache. And it violates what I call the primary tenet of this game, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Right. So that's my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. If you think I'm wrong, get on the forums and tell me so. That's Post right. it. Call me a bada poodoo and a bantha photo and a, and a fodder and a, a tool and a toad and a jerk and anything else you want. I would absolutely love to hear it. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> me too. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode, doesn't it not, Dave? It pretty much. We'll have to put the wrap on episode number 14. And as we get ready for episode number 15 and our minis discussion... We invite any questions for GM Brev. There's already a uh, topic yeah. out there on the message board under the D20 request. Is that right? The um, actually, no. It's it's in with the minis discussion, I believe. Um, if oh, it's not, it? okay. I'll move it to D20 requests. Okay. It's one or the other. So look for it in, in either place for the minis discussion or, or for the request. Yeah. Uh, so please, yeah, get, get your questions posted there, guys, for GM Brev. Any minis questions you have. We have one out there already, but we'd love to have some more. Yep. 
One last, uh, one, a couple items of, of housekeeping. Um, some of you, one of you actually emailed me to let me know that our site was down, and that is true. We, um, for the first time, exceeded our bandwidth limit. And our bandwidth limit is humongous. Yeah. All right, we have, what do we have? We have, we have 150 gigabytes of bandwidth. And we exceeded that on April 20th. <laughs> so um, I uh, beg, borrow, and stole some, uh, some bandwidth um, from another website. I, I host about 10 websites, and, and one of them's not using all their space. So I, I stole some for the time being. But um, you're going to start seeing some Google AdWords and stuff appear on our forums. And, and basically, <laughs> it's so that we can afford server space. We have to buy bandwidth just like everybody else. And so we're... We're going through at the, at the rate we are going. We're going to wind up by the end of the year. We'll be we'll need a terabyte, pretty much every month. Yeah, and that's, and that's kind of expensive. expensive. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So you guys are going to start seeing a few a few ad banners um, on the forums and on our main site as well. And uh, a lot of people don't like that, but we we really you know. <laughs> right. So if you start, <laughs> we, we got to pay for the server space somehow. <laughs> yeah. So if you start hearing us, you know, go off about what you know our podcast is sponsored by somebody. Don't get mad at us. We simply have to pay the bills, and and uh, you know I'll, I draw wife aggro already for paying what I pay to to, to buy bandwidth, and <clears throat> some of the you know some of the sites pay for their server space for me, and so it works out almost. You know it almost covers the bills, but uh, this podcast is going to put me in the poorhouse. <laughs> and the and other, want, and I'm sorry, we don't go. want that. We don't want no. that. We want to keep it going. We want to keep it going strong. Absolutely. Um, so. The other yeah, thing, I'm going to put it out there. We had a discussion this week, and I'm going to put it out there to see what people think. And, and I'd, I'd really love to get some feedback. We have an idea in our head for 2009. Should I mention this or should I not? Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's, I mean, we're talking, we're talking you know, you know, a couple years in the future now. Yeah. I mean, well, two years, yeah. Well, so not, not well, yeah, next year. So we're talking 2010 or 2009? Well, 2009 or 2010. Okay, probably late, probably late 2009, uh, maybe 18 months from now, maybe not quite. But we honestly think that we can put together and host, being in Dallas, a major, major hub for commerce and giant airport and lots National of hotels. Yeah. We want to put together D20Con. And primarily intensive on Star Wars Saga Edition. We do have a gentleman who's contacted us who's going to add a fourth edition podcast to our D20 radio. Yes. And we hope. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we're going to expand a little bit into that genre and, and our forums will expand to, to include some more fourth edition content. But, uh, you know, with our, with our list of podcasts, you know, multiplying, you know, in, in the foreseeable future. We really thought that we'd have the opportunity with our listener base over 250 now weekly listeners, and subscribed. Yeah. yeah, subscribed. And so you know we'll have we'll have 300 to hell 600 hits uh, to the podcast on a weekly basis. Now we figure that we're going to start small, just like anything else. We'll start small and and hopefully not charge too terribly much and and try and get a good rate at a hotel and all that stuff. We've already begun our pricing and all that good stuff to try and put this thing together for next year. 
Yeah, but we really want to gauge you guys' interest and uh, in in doing an event like this. Um, right. It was a comment on the forums that actually led me and Dave to even talk about it. And we think we could pull it off, and we think we could do it if you guys were interested in doing it. Um, so you know, come come two thousand nine, uh, we you know might be able to put together a con. You know, maybe two or three days, maybe maybe even four days if we can, of nonstop gaming uh, seminars, workshops, all the goodness you would expect from a con. That's right. Now, Wizards would never sponsor it in our first year, but, you know. Most likely not, no. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, don't expect to see any big, huge names. You know, I bet if we really twisted Rodney's arm, he might consider it for about seven seconds before he says no. Or says no, probably, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it's one of those things where we'll uh, we'll be giving away vendor space and things like that just to try and get some stuff going. But uh, But ultimately, we want it to be a venue where we can get together with a lot of our listeners and a bunch of geeks and and a bunch of Star Wars. Play uh, lots of games. And and role-playing fanatics to get together to play for a good two or three days and have fun. And um, with the community that's growing the way it is, uh, we think it's something maybe you guys might be interested in. So let us know. You're going to find a... thread on the forums um, in D20 requests, um, a sticky thread um, actually uh, inviting your suggestions and opinions regarding it. And so we'd invite you to get to d20radio.com slash forum yep. and let us know. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a, a, a separate category. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll just, definitely do we're, that. We're we'll, just we'll, going to... We'll, we'll, we'll just create a separate category. That'll we'll, work. we'll put a header up top close to... And I'm going to delete... I'm going to delete the, uh, the one that tells everybody that they're going to be verified because of spammers because I, I got into the minutia of the PHP code, and actually some of you newer ones will notice a, a code question of asking, who is Luke's father? You know, yes. Darth what? <laughs> and Darth, so, Darth all of a sudden, just that little that little, that little little augmentation of code has somehow thrown off all the spam bots, and so we don't have that big a problem anymore. Yeah, so we'll just take care of that. But we really want to hear you guys' opinions, so we'll get them up there. And thank you guys again for listening and throwing your support for the cast, and uh, we wish you good gaming. And uh, peace, love, and all that goes with it. That's right. <laughs> Keep them dice rolling. This is Full On Gamer calling from Fayetteville, North Carolina. I refuse to listen to the Order 66 podcast. That's the guy that sends in all these. By the way, Full On Gamer, I just wanted to say that the gag was that we were t- we, we know where these come from. We get your phone number and all that. The gag was that we were going to say these are all different people. <laughs> but now we have to, because he went and put himself on the forums, oh, I did 17 different voices. Well, <laughs> he should be damn proud of them. They're good. They bumpers. are good. They are good. They're but it made us look like bumpers. we had more phone calls than we really did. <laughs> Instead of one man posting it, calling it five. Right. But all of you guys, please get your get your calls and get your bumpers in. Give us a call. That's right. I don't know where you whippersnappers get off. I'm not a grognar. But in my day, we talked about our games in the bookstore where people could look at us funny. So no, I won't listen to your Order 66 podcast. I'm going to go out Get stared at like a man. Ha! D20 Radio, where gamers roll.
www.d20radio.com. This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at StarWars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at Wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Thank you.